Welcome to the Alberta Forage Industry Network Sustainable Forage webinar and podcast series. For this chat, we had Dr. Ari Pudel chat with us about Sanfoin, a beneficial companion for forage crop for your favorite perennials. This recording took place on Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. We thank you for joining us. If you would like to see the video with the presentation, you can go to our website at albertaforages.ca. If you like this episode and would like to be a member of AFIN, you can go to our website or you can contact us at albertaforages at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. All right, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Chris Fulkerth, and I am the past chair of the Alberta Forage Industry Network. Uh, today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Ari Podell, who will be talking to us a little bit about uh, um, Sandpoint and uh, some of the benefits of Sandpoint. Uh, so this is some of our monthly seminars we've been having. I think they've been providing a lot of excellent information and really happy to see. I see a great long list of people that are on the call today. So awesome to see that. Uh, so before we get started, though, I'd like to do a land acknowledgement. So Alberta Forage Industry Network respect, respectfully acknowledges that we are we live and work on the traditional lands of the Indigenous peoples, Inuit, First Nations, and Métis of Canada. We honor the ancestry, heritage, and gifts of the Indigenous peoples and give them thanks. Uh, so a little bit about Ari, um, just a bit of background on Sandpoint, and I know we've got the the guru of Sandpoint in uh, uh, Surya Acharya with us today as well. Um, so Sandpoint is a beneficial companion forage crop for your favorite perennial. So that's what the talk will be today, while Ari will be speaking on that. Uh, there's been a renewed interest in Sandpoint among Western Can Canadian forage and beef cattle producers over the last decade. A major trigger for this growing appeal has been the availability of new Sandpoint cultivars, Mountain View and Glenview, um, that have increased compatibility with alfalfa. Uh, grazing alfalfa sand, alfalfa Sandpoint mixed pasture can estimate or can eliminate, sorry, alfalfa pasture bloat, which costs three, 30 to $50 million um, per year to the Canadian cattle producer. So that's a definite benefit there for sure. Uh, recent research indicates that these New Sandvine cultivars. We'll review the historic Sandvine breeding activities and highlight current progress on the compatibility of Sandvine with <clears throat> perennial forages and prospects of Sandvine as a sustainable livestock feed. Uh, Dr. Ari Pudel is a forage breeder, research scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Lethbridge Research and Development. He has more than 10 years of uh, forage breeding experience acquired through graduate and postgraduate research across different forage breeding programs in North America. His research interests are centered around the improvement and development of forage cultivars through phenotypic and geno genomic assisted breeding. He is he currently devotes his ex expertise enhancing the Western Canadian context by effective addre effectively addressing the challenges posed by <clears throat> changing climate conditions. Uh, he is committed to implied research that directly benefits the stakeholders of the forage industry in Alberta. So welcome Ari, and we're looking forward to your presentation. 
Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, can you all hear me? <laughs> yes, we sure can. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And thanks, uh, Efin, for this um, opportunity uh, to present my work. And uh, thanks all for uh, being here. Uh, it's the busiest time of the year. And uh, we are still working on planting and then transplanting. Um, so yeah, I'd like to thank you all for uh, joining with us today. And uh, I will just start with the outline for today's talk, uh, brief status of the forests in Canada. And then I will go for the history of Sandpoint and uh, uh, Sandpoint breeding in Canada. That's uh, together with Sandpoint compatibility with alfalfa. Then uh, I'll talk about the Sandpoint compatibility with other grass species. And I believe there will be uh, plenty of time for questions. So uh, yeah, now I just want to show you uh, the area in Canada that's covered by forages. Uh, so we have about 70 million acres between natural pasture and cultivated forages, of which about uh, 36 million acres uh, is natural rangeland, range and the remaining 34 million acres, uh, that's approximately 39% of the total crop production area in Canada, is cultivated forage. We have 33% of the cultivated forage crop in Alberta covered by uh, forages. But uh, uh, the latest uh, data from Stat Canada shows only 13 million acres reported. So this uh, about 20 million acre hidden somewhere that's not reported uh, in our uh, Stat Canada data. And in this table, I'm showing you the land use uh, by different crops over different census year. And, from 2011 to all the way up to 2021. And uh, what we are seeing here is the total area under forages. Uh, that's the sum of alfalfa hay, other tame hay, and forage seeds. So the change in five years, uh, latest five year period is almost 16%. And compared to 2011, it's uh, 22%. So that's a decline in the forage acreage uh, all over Canada. And in Alberta, we are seeing 17% decrease in total acreages. And compared to the uh, wheat and canola, especially canola, that's an increase in the acreage over these. So the forage areas are being converted to the other crops area. And on uh, this uh, picture, I'm showing you the uh, farm crop yield uh, in Canada. And um, as you can see, the red one, that's uh, the tame hay. It has the productivity of around 4.2 tons per hectare. And that's uh, consistent across more than 60 years compared to the other field crops, which are uh, in which the productivities are increasing. So can we increase the productivity of forage crops? And uh, the answer to this question is to follow the best management practices, which included irrigations and fertilizers that the other crops are using. Especially for the forages, uh, 
they are grown in the uh, low productive areas. And then uh, we have lower uh, research uh, in forages. That's why leading to the uh, less number of cultivars. This all um, accumulate. And then if we want to improve the productivity, then we need to uh, focus on more resources. So then, uh, there are different plant breeding methods. And uh, uh, to talk about plant breeding in specific, it is a science or technique of improving a plant genotype. And a plant genotype in simple language is any organism that has a gene. And a gene is the genetic, uh, hereditary material. And when we're doing, doing plant breeding, we are uh, changing uh, the gene. So uh, we can see uh, there are different breeding methods. On the top, there are, I listed here three different uh, breeding methods. The selective breeding, uh, which is the uh, old way of doing breeding. And then uh, in this breeding method, we do the recurrent selection of the uh, plants for the better uh, genotype for the trait of interest. Crossbreeding, in crossbreeding, we cross two different uh, species, uh, just like uh, the development of uh, hybrid broom grass, which is the cross between meadow broom and uh, smooth broom. And there are methods such as mutagenesis, which involve uh, treating uh, with uh, chemicals such as uh, ethyl methane sulfonate or eradications using, using x-rays. And re recently we have uh, uh, genetically modified techniques, but uh, until today, I, I know only one cultivar in alfalfa that's uh, genetically modified, and that's a group in Canada, but uh, uh, there's no any genetically modified forest cultivar developed so far, other than uh, a single Roundup Ready alfalfa cultivar. So yeah, forest breeding is different than other crops breeding in, in the sense uh, forages are cross-pollinated and that's why it's very difficult for uh, controlling the pollination and therefore most of the forage breeding or forage uh, breeding cultivars are developed through the half sieve recurrent selection procedures so uh, the base populations uh, are crossed each other uh, to get to the half sieves the half sieves are those population in which we know who is the mother, but we don't know who is the father. And then those populations are evaluated in the field, selected, and then recombined. This, this process continues for two to three cycles, depending uh, upon the crop species and uh, the genetic gain you want to get it. To shorten the um, generation cycle, uh, recurrent genomic selection procedure uh, can be employed. This is a new method in which uh, uh, we do or we use genome of the plants and then predict the values. This way we can shorten uh, the generation cycle and then improve the forest cultivar quickly. However, the, this technique has been uh, in research for more than 20 years, and there's no any single cultivar generated through this uh, process. So yeah, uh, 
So the fruit is breeding program in Lethbridge has developed several cultivars in the past and uh, kudos to our uh, retired scientist, Dr. Surya Acharya, who is uh, also joining here. He has developed several cultivars here. Uh, this is just a list. I might have forgotten some of them, but we have uh, uh, AC Blue Jay, Long, Longview, Dalton, Bridgeview, and Meadowview Alfalfa. And we have two uh, cultivars, Mountain View and San, uh, Glen View for Sanfoin, Oxlade 2 and Belt for Sizer Milk Weights, and uh, TriStar for Fenugreek. It's the only forage cultivar available. And uh, Kayak for Orchard Grass. And one more S1, that's uh, perennial cereal ryegrass. With that, the uh, the forage breeding program at Lethbridge right now is focusing on mostly three different perennial uh, legume species. And, uh, they are alfalfa, sizer milk beige, and sanfoin. So we are looking for grazing tolerance in alfalfa, drought and acid tolerance in alfalfa, and uh, very exciting project increase soot lipid content in alfalfa. Similarly, in sizer milk beige, we are looking for the compatibility with alfalfa and uh, improving seed vigor. And we are also looking for a pasture bloat uh, in which uh, we want to mix sizer milk beige with alfalfa and see how it works, and even for the methane emissions. For sanfoin, we are doing uh, biomass and quality traits that's using genomics and phenomics, as well as the traditional breeding methods. We have drought and acid tolerant sanfoin, and we are also working on in increasing the soot lipid content in sanfoin. And obviously uh, the compatibility with alfalfa and grass species with sanfoin. And uh, today's talk will mainly focus on sanfoin's compatibility with alfalfa and grass species. So yeah, sanfoin is a beautiful uh, legume crop and it has different names. There are basically two types, which is common and the giant type. Common sanfoin, um, they can live for eight to 10 years. Uh, and uh, uh, giant type, they are short lived. So sanfoin, uh, can not only be used as a forage, but it's also used as an ornamental crop, a pulse crop. Uh, the research group at uh, Land Institute in Kansas, they are working uh, for improving sanfoin as a perennial pulse crop. And uh, it's also a useful uh, legume for nitrogen fixation. And uh, so this wonderful legume uh, forage crop, it's its long history and uh, it's a, a line diagram. It was originated uh, around uh, or more than 6,000 years ago in Southwest Asia and east of Mediterranean Sea. From there, it moved to Soviet Union and in 15th century, uh, it's spread all over Europe. In North America and Australia, it came to uh, in 18th century. And uh, for Canada, in 1971, Melrose was the first registered Canadian uh, sanfoin cultivar. 
And then after nine years in 1980, the second cultivar NOVA was registered in Canada. Since 1980 to 2015, there was a, there was a gap in which there was no any breeding activities uh, related to Sandpoint. So that could be because of the lower yield of uh, alfalfa, lower yield of Sandpoint compared to alfalfa, or the research priorities on other crops. And uh, the adaptability of Sandpoint, it's, uh, it has a narrow ad adaptability. But uh, in 2020, and there was a uh, interest um, in Sandphone, and then uh, the Let's Research and Development Center uh, initiated Sandphone breeding projects. Um, and similarly, there was some uh, Sandphone activities uh, with project called Healthy Hay and Legume Plus in Europe. And uh, at present, Sanfuin is also studied as a uh, perennial palm pulse crop. So uh, Sanfuin is getting more uh, interest in the present uh, years. So the question is, why was there a uh, renewed interest in Sanfuin? And uh, so I, I checked over the few characteristics over here. Uh, persistency of Sanfuin is generally less than five years. Nutritive value of sandfoin, it's less than that of alfalfa. And most of the sandfoin cultivars uh, were mostly single cut type. So, but still there was a renewed interest because of its uh, early growth uh, habit that exceeded the biomass yield of alfalfa in first cut. The other potential uh, cause for the uh, renewed interest could be because of uh, sandfoin is blood free and uh, it has, uh, it's easy to grow as well. So if we look at over uh, uh, the nutritive value over here, Sanfuin has 36%, uh, 32% uh, uh, of crude protein, whereas alfalfa has 36, that's uh, less than compared to alfalfa. So yeah, the agronomic practices that I listed here is simply uh, from uh, the book that I cited over here, Sanfoin for Western Canada. And Sanfoin is very well adapted to uh, Western Canada's growing conditions, which has uh, the precipitation of uh, 300 to 500 mm of annual rainfall and with pH more than uh, six. Spring uh, seeding is preferred, and uh, the fall seeding of sandfoin uh, it's not studied well. So seeding rate for sandfoin is slightly higher uh, in terms of uh, pounds per acre. That's uh, 30 pounds per acre, and uh, sandfoin is usually seeded uh, not more than three fourths of the inch. And then for sandfoin, there's no specific in the plant developed so far, so we use either alfalfa or clover inoculant. And sandfoin is uh, 10 times more resistant to Roundup. And for uh, post-emergence with control, we usually use post and uh, pursuit. We can get up to two to three cuts in irrigated and one to two cuts per year in dry land areas, uh, totaling the biomass yield 
uh, from 3.1 to 6.7 ton per hectare per acre. And then the city is close to 1,000 pounds per acre. So yeah, before I talk about the breeding activities in uh, Canada, uh, I would like to talk about the breeding activities that's in across the world. And uh, uh, San breeding activities have been uh, done in North America, which are mainly focused on improving biomass yield, persistence, winter survival, compatibility with other species and disease resistance. In the US, uh, Esky and uh, Remount, they are the older cultivars and more, most recently they have Soson uh, that was released in 2006. And uh, the Land Institute at Kansas is studying the use of sandfoin as a potential perennial pulse crop for human use. And uh, they recently published a paper which says uh, sandfoin uh, seeds contains 39% of the crude protein that's comparable to soybean and lupin, 7% of fat that's comparable to lupin, and then 7% of starch that's uh, comparable to lupin. So uh, nutrient-wise, sandfoin has the potential. And they are also studying uh, sandfoin as a companion legume with uh, intermediate wheat grass. Just uh, the picture over here, it's uh, uh, from their website and they are, they are looking at the compatibility of sandfoin with intermediate wheat grass. So uh, the breeding efforts in Europe, that's mainly two projects, Legume Plus and uh, Healthy Hay. Before that, there's a lot of cultivars developed, such as uh, Amra, Vala, and uh, there were a lot, but they were all released uh, prior to 1970s. And the recent projects, they look at genetic analysis, agronomic evaluations, chemical, biological, and environmental assessment, nutritional analysis, and they also developed uh, method methods for screening sandfoin. But uh, so far, there's no report of any improved sandfoin cultivar from their program. And moving forward, there were a couple of uh, works done in New Zealand in which uh, they collected about 80 different sandfoin accessions from 10 countries and then selected for uh, the tracks that they are looking for for the climatic condition of New Zealand. And their first uh, sandfoin cultivar was developed in 2005. Uh, but that cultivar was only recommended for dry and cold regions where alpha alpha cannot be grown. And since then, there's no any additions uh, for new cultivars in New Zealand. In Iran and Turkey, they are doing uh, drought tolerant uh, studies for. Uh, sandfoin that contains high proline content kind of thing, but uh, so far they are not uh, looking or they are not developing any cultivars so far. So yeah, uh, now I would like to focus more on the breeding of sandfoin in the Canada, what motivates it and uh, where we are. So uh, in 2001, 
Dr. Surya Acharya, he initiated uh, the Sandpoint Breeding Project in Lethbridge. And uh, the motivation for Sandpoint was basically because of the two characteristics. The first one is Sandpoint is well adapted to the semi-arid regions, and that's uh, the Canadian prairies. And Sandpoint uh, can, uh, Sandpoint is blood free that can uh, save around 300 to 500 million uh, per year globally. So what makes Sandpoint uh, blood free? The answer is because it has condensed staining on its vegetative tissues. And when sandfoin and alfalfa are mixed fed, uh, with at least 10 or 20% of sandfoin sand in the mixture, that can reduce up to 90% of the blood. And uh, so, but uh, uh, when grazing fresh alpha, alpha and sandfoin pasture, uh, it might be one of the strategies to reduce uh, or the blood well grazing. So that's the motivation behind to initiate the Sandpoint breeding program here in Lethbridge. So we know Sandpoint uh, do not cause blood, but we don't. There are several questions that that were not answered uh, while the Sandpoint breeding pro project was established. The four questions were whether sandfoin cultivar can grow together with alfalfa and persist as a perennial crop. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a question related to the compatibility of sandfoin with alfalfa. The other one is whether sandfoin produce this comparable biomass that has profitable return to the uh, producers. And the third question was whether sandfoin in alfalfa can make a pasture blood safe. And the fourth question was whether livestock would grade sandfoin to the same extent as alfalfa. This series of questions were uh, addressed through a series of experiments conducted. And then, uh, so uh, to initiate the breeding project, 10 founder cultivars, uh, Splendid, Eski, Nova, and that's the list of more. And they, they were seeded in alternate rows with alfalfa. And uh, the main goal is to exert the selection pressure by growing sandfoin and alfalfa together. The another concern with sandfoin was a single cut. And to, to select for the multiple cut, uh, sandfoin frequent harvest scheme was. Uh, adapted. That means sandfoin alfalfa plots were har harvested three to four times a year and then selected for the one that has the better regrowth. And with this, three improved populations were uh, developed based on phen phenotypic recurrent selection and they are named uh, LRC3900, LRC3901, and LRC3902. And uh, the proportion uh, or the number of the plants in each population uh, is listed here. What we can see here, it's splendid, has higher uh, number of plants. That's why it, it got higher number of uh, plants in all these new populations as well. 
And another one is uh, Raymond that was the cultivar developed uh, in the US and it's second to the Splendid. LRC3902, uh, which, which mostly has uh, Splendid as the major contributor, later becomes Mountain View. And then uh, LRC3519, which is the Splendid itself, selection and the Splendid for multiple uh, times leads to uh, the Glen view. So yeah, this uh, table is uh, the meta analysis from the results uh, or the, from the paper by uh, Achare et al. That's published in Agronomy Journal in 2013. And in this table, I, uh, I'm showing you uh, the uh, performance of uh, sandpoint populations uh, for sandpoint composition and uh, total biomass yield. So the response variable is uh, over here is the sandpoint composition. And what we can see here is Nova, that's the older cultivar of a uh, sandpoint that has only 17% uh, in the mixture compared to LRC3519, which is 34%. And LRC3902, which is uh, close to 32%. And the Sukla variance, that's, that, that's just the um, stability of the uh, cultivar across different uh, locations and environment. So the lower this variance, it's more adapted to more locations. And this is the ranking of the cultivars based on the mean. And this is the ranking of the uh, populations and cultivar based on the stability. And this is the combined ranking based on the sandpoint composition and dry matter yield. So what we are seeing here is the combined uh, ranking would, would be the lower, it's the better. That's why LRC3902 uh, is the best cultivar for selection over here. And then if we just look at the concern of compatibility, newer uh, population of sandpoint has higher compatibility with alpha-alpha compared to the NOVA. So the first uh, question was addressed. And then this is uh, what we saw with uh, LRC3902 and SCBLUJ. It's uh, the picture taken in 2010, and uh, both alpha alpha and sandpoint they are growing together, and they looks good. So the another question was: Is alpha alpha as productive as alpha alpha? And then it's also the meta analysis from the same paper. And uh, uh, if we look at uh, the alpha alpha. Uh, that's a um, uh, long view. It, ha it has a lower yield than our good populations, LRC3915, with uh, more than uh, 10 ton per hectare, uh, and the LRC3902 with more than 10 ton per hectare. And then if you look at these uh, variants over here, they all received five. That means Sanfoin is as productive as alpha-alpha. So some, some, some population of sandfoin can be as productive as alpha-alpha. 
So the third question is about the bloat control in the mixture. And uh, this is uh, the figure from uh, Soti et al. And if you look at the figure to the right, we can see uh, the number of bloat incidents in new sandpoint cultivar 3519. This is this one over here and this one over here. The number of blood incidents is uh, reduced by 98% in LRC3915 mixed stand compared to the NOVA. So once the third, third concern is solved, the fourth concern is about preference by cattle. And uh, on this one, we see Sanfoin has slightly lower preference. That's uh, 0.8 compared to one with alfalfa. And in the 2012, it has 0 0.6 compared to one for alfalfa. However, as, the, uh, as they are grazed for multiple days, they tend to have the similar preference. So, uh, the preference wouldn't be a big issue uh, if uh, we are to graze the cattle. So, yeah, the, so once the, all the four issues are solved, then we are open to uh, develop or release the new cultivar. And then uh, it's a flowchart for the development of the mountain view. It was initiated in 2001 with 10 sandfoin cultivars, and they were seeded in alternate rows with AC blue gel alfalfa. They were evaluated for other compatibility for biomass yield and proportion sandfoin in the alfalfa. This is the evaluation phase. And then in 2005, 200 individuals were selected, and that leads to the selection cycle. In 2006, seeds were harvested and bulked to generate uh, the synthetic population, and then went for multi-locational trial, including grazing uh, for uh, test for the bloat and bloating with the animal, and then it was finally released in 2015. So Mountain View is a single selection cycle cultivar, and. Uh, it's uh, after the release of Mountain View, it's called it's, uh, the paradigm shift in the forest industry. And there were um, local journals uh, highlighting the work. And this is one that I like the most, uh, which says the superhero that can fight cattle blood is dressed in pink. And with that uh, Mountain View, the another cultivar, uh, Glen View, was developed and it's the uh, workflow for this uh, uh, cultivar. It started similar like that with uh, a mountain view, 10 founder sandpoint cultivars, and then evaluated for biomass yield and compatibility. And then 300 individuals were selected out of cultivar splendid at this time. Uh, Glenview was selected totally from Splendid, and Mountain View was selected from multiple sandpoint cultivars. They were, they were then cross-pollinated to generate LRC3519. I have talked about that previously a lot. And then 
there was a selection cycle two in Glenview. That's uh, totally uh, the grazing pressure was applied uh, in the population three five one nine, and then that was evaluated for multi-locational trial and then released in two thousand eighteen. So it's a just a very brief uh, summary of the genetic gain from a monoculture test. And uh, compared to NOVA, Mountain View has 17% genetic gain. And Glenview has 12% genetic gain. And LRC3519 has 23% genetic gain. So one major concern about the, the sandfern cultivars is their persistency. So as the sandfern stand get uh, to the ages after like four years of establishment, we are seeing lower proportion of sandfern in the mixture. Just over here, uh, we are seeing a decline from 49% to 31%. And uh, in the same or in other locations as well. So there was a, a independent uh, validation test kind of studies uh, that was done by Bill Bilugetu from University of Saskatchewan. And then, so on, on this one, the new cultivars, they did not seem to have a very uh, good proportion uh, when planted with alfalfa. Uh, but one of the reason could be uh, the, the high proportion of the weeds, but uh, there's more works needed uh, to, do, to do the validations. So yeah, there is studies such as new sandfern cultivar were not equally competitive. And this is a study uh, that uh, we published last year in Canadian Journal of Plant Science. And in this uh, study, we are looking the compatibility of sandfoin with alfalfa and archer grass in two different environment. And th this work was done in Lethwis. And we have the irrigated uh, plot over here and dry land. Uh, this is the contribution that's proportion of sandfoin um, in the irrigated. Uh, and this is the proportion of sandfoin in the dry land areas. The x-axis we have harvest. Uh, the harvest one to nine indicate uh, the nine harvest from the second production year, and it would be three harvest per year. In dry land, we have two harvest per year, so there's only six harvests. So what we are seeing here is uh, this one is the mixture of sandfoin with orchard grass. And with orchard grass, the proportion of uh, sandfoin increases over uh, different harvest period, except for the NOVA. No, NOVA with dotted line is over here. And then with alfalfa, and all the sandfoin cultivar, whether new or old, uh, we see the declining trend and uh, NOVA on the bottom over here. We have the similar trend in dryland too. Uh, in the state in dryland, we don't see increase in sandfoin proportion when seeded uh, with uh, orchard grass. It, it's kind of the same. But with uh, 
alpha alpha and the proportion has a sharp decline. And this is the same study uh, in which I'm showing the dry matter yield. And this study was, uh, on this study, there's not, not much to take on this study, like, but we can see these three new sandpoint cultivars. LRC3432, LRC3519, and 3900. They have slightly higher uh, biomass yield uh, compared to the NOVA. And uh, when orchard grass is uh, planted or seeded in monoculture, which is the first uh, bar over here, and over here, and over here, uh, orchard grass has the least performance. Uh, and the new sandphone has comparable com performance to Longview, which is the alpha-alpha cultivars. So it's an, in another study, we uh, have five different alpha-alpha cultivars and seven different sandphone population. And these four, Nova, Nova 161, uh, uh, Raymond and Melrose. They are the older sandpoint cultivars, and the last three are the newer sandpoint cultivars. And we are seeing up to um, seven hundred percent increase uh, in uh, in the sandpoint per person when seeded with Allohead for LRC three five one nine with Beaver. We increased from 13% uh, in NOVA to 50% with uh, LRC3519. So with a uh, long view uh, and NOVA, we, uh, the proportion changes from 6.2 to long view and LRC3519 up to 40%. So in all of these three, LRC designated population, we are seeing higher uh, than 25% of the sandpoint in the mixture. That means that's, uh, um, that's capable to prevent bloat. This one uh, has the dry matter yield of the same study. And uh, obviously, uh, sandpoint in monoculture can produce up to 13 uh, tons per hectare, uh, and but with uh, alpha alpha, the production can be increased. And again, this study also suggests sandphone is uh, more or less as competitive to alpha alpha, and uh, the selection of the good cultivar can yield as much as alpha alpha. So the, uh, this is uh, another study in which we studied this fitness of sandfoin with three different grass species. And there were five environments. Lethbridge uh, seeded in 18 and 19, Saskatoon we have in 18 and 20, and Carmon uh, it's in Manitoba in 2018. We seeded five different sandfoin populations with three different uh, grass species, hybrid broom, meadow broom, and orchard grass. And uh, there were same row and alternate row planting. And this is just the uh, picture of the plot that I took uh, yesterday. And it's the plot uh, seeded in 2018. 
and it's uh, the grass and sand flowing and equally and uh, it looks more compatible. And what we are looking here is the seeding method. Uh, when we were doing seeding, we did the same row seeding and alternate row seeding. And uh, on, except in Lethbridge 2018 and Lethbridge uh, 2018, um, the same row planting doesn't do any good in our other uh, locations or other environments. It's for the biomass yield and proportion of sand foreign. It has the same, it's the same. So with the grass species, uh, for sand foreign, proportion of sand foreign contribution, orchard grass has relatively a more sand foreign proportion when we seed it with orchard grass. But for biomass yield, uh, hybrid broom or meadow broom, uh, they comes to be higher in that bit when seeded in 2018 and uh, Saskatoon 2020. So for biomass yield, there was not much difference between hybrid broom and meadow broom. And for sand foam contribution, orchard grass has a relatively higher proportion of sand foam. And if you look at the different sand foam populations, um, there was not much difference uh, in overall biomass yield, whether that's the new sand foam cultivar or the old sand foam cultivar that's Melrose over here. And uh, similar to that in proportions and fund contributions. There were uh, some population that were slightly better, but overall uh, that's not much uh, effects. So yeah, on this one, I'm showing you which one where or uh, which combination it's best for which environment. And uh, to simplify, I would like you to look at this sector and uh, where you can see Carmen 18, Saskatoon 18 and Saskatoon 20. On these three environment, the vortex which has a Melrose with orchard grass, that's the better combination to grow on those lo locations if you are looking for higher sand foam contributions. But uh, mountain view with orchard grass is a better choice at two environments in Lethbridge. For dry matter yield, that's a different story. And uh, Carmen 18, Saskatoon 20, and Lethbridge 19, those three environment has uh, LRC4498 with middle broom as a winner. And Melrose with hybrid broom is the winner in Lethbridge and Saskatoon and that were planted in 2018. So this is kind of confusing like uh, where or which is the clear winner. And therefore I did a multi-thread stability index in which I used uh, different weight for the biomass yield and sand foam proportion. And this one, the first one is a 50-50. 50 for the sand foam dry matter 
uh, yield and 50% for per person sandpoint based on dry matter. And if we average across all the locations and all the environments and multiple years, mountain view with orchard grass is the winner for both traits for uh, biomass yield and proportion sandpoint composition. But when I gave the weight 25% for the proportion sandpoint and 75% for the dry matter yield, uh, we have ELRC4498 middle broom the winner. And the same when I, I gave 10% weight to sandpoint dry matter in proportion. So overall, what we are seeing here is the orchard grass, uh, when it has the lowest weight for the proportion of sandpoint, all the orchard grass combination, uh, they comes to the bottom. And then LRC4498 with middle broom or hybrid broom, that's the uh, best combination to, uh, to cultivate uh, if uh, we are looking for the broad uh, spectrum uh, in the all three, prov three provinces. And then we also did the uh, quality assessment of the forages and sandpoint obviously has higher nitrogen, uh, lower ADF and lower NDF. Uh, and in this one, we did the in vitro digestibility assessment after 48 hours of incubation. And I here I'm so uh, it's the proportion of the grass and sandpoint. It's 100% sandpoint, it's 25% grass and 75% sandpoint, and li likewise 100% grass. And middle means middle broom grass, and orchard means orchard grass. So the traits we measure are uh, dry matter and digestibility, uh, neutral detergent, fiber digestibility, gas, total ground gas production and methane production. We want these two traits to have a higher, uh, to, to have better quality. And then these two traits, the gas production to be lower. And interestingly, uh, orchard grass uh, has a, uh, higher uh, dry matter digestibility uh, when the sandpoint uh, or the proportion of sandpoint is higher. And uh, we have two different results uh, for middle and orchard grass for the uh, methane gas production. So with middle brome, the proportion of uh, methane gas production is uh, uh, lower with uh, the higher proportion of sandpoint, and then it's uh, higher with a uh, higher proportion of sandpoint. So yeah, the take home messages uh, of this is uh, for mixture with alpha alpha, sandpoint alpha alpha mixture has higher biomass yield than alpha alpha or sandpoint monoculture. And newer cultivar of sandpoint has better compatibility with alfalfa. Alternate row seeding was uh, helpful when we seed alfalfa and uh, sandpoint. And the last one, the proportion of sandpoint 
either new or old decreases with stand age in both irrigated and non-irrigated condition when cultivated with well, when seeded with uh, alfalfa. For the grass mixture, sanfoin does not have a noticeable compatibility issue with any of the grass species. So in all the grass species, it has more than 25% of sandpoint proportion uh, in the mixture. Newer cultivars of sandpoint, which is a mountain view and land view, that uh, do not have any additional advantage compared to the old cultivars. Unlike alfalfa, alternate row seeding may not be economically beneficial for sandpoint grass mixtures. And the incorporation of sandpoint with perennial uh, mudabrum gas can help reduce methane emission and not with orchard grass. And the last one, LRC4498 with mudabrum grass could serve as an excellent forest management combo for uh, the um, broader uh, Canadian prairies areas. So with this, I would like to acknowledge uh, uh, Dr. Surya Acharya, uh, who has done significant amount of work on this uh, uh, significant amount of work that I'm presenting today. And I'd also like to acknowledge Bill Bilugetu from University of Saskatchewan, and Dr. Tani from University of Manitoba, uh, Yuxi Wang, who has done the in vitro studies, Stacy Singer, uh, Doug Messenger, uh, Brandon, Mike, and uh, several graduates and undergraduate students that work uh, on this uh, long term projects. And uh, I would like to thank you all for listening. And with that, uh, I'll be open for questions. All right. Uh, thanks very much, Harry. That was excellent. Um, how do you want to handle the questions? Um, there's some posted in the chat. Would you like me to read them out to you or can you see them there? Yeah, I will also see them and let's, let's see. Okay. If, if, if that's okay, if not, I can read them out as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and if there's any follow-up questions in anyone online today, um, you can certainly turn your mics on and ask those questions as well. So this is a question from Lynn Powell, yeah. Powell and uh, was the sandfoin allowed to go to seed at all and reseed itself? So, so uh, if this uh, is the question for, 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 for the hay or for the studies that I'm presenting here, sandfoin is not allowed to go all the way to the ceiling. So we normally do the haying at uh, uh, 10 to 20 percent of uh, 10 to 20 percent of the flowering time. So so the answer is we don't let it go to the seeding stage, and there is no chance of reseeding. So another was as a potential way to address lack of persistence. Uh, okay, so so it would be great if uh, Alain can explain a little bit on that question. Lynn, are you on still? Just want a bit of clarification on your second part of your question as a potential way to address lack of persistence. It would be to allow it to reset itself. That, that, that could be the explanation, right? Hold on. 
I'll call in. You yeah, I was ahead? just wondering. I just meant um, if you let it go to seed in a way to address uh, the lack of persistence. That's all I meant. So, um, but if it never was let to go to seed, then that kind of answers my question. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, when, when you allow to get uh, to the seeding stage itself, I think that that would be, uh, you are compromising on the quality when you harvest them for forages, but, uh, and for, for if you are looking for the seed production and looking for the persistence on that one, uh, I think that would also not be more, uh, more profitable uh, because, uh, yeah, the reseeding uh, may not be as a... So yeah, I think that that's the way, way I look on that one. Uh, and the yeah, reseeding may not uh, help in the seed production as well. So did I answer that question? Can I <laughs> or, say something, uh, Harry? Yes, yes. Yes, please. I think uh, this is Surya. I think I, I did a lot of work with Sandpoint. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the key thing is when we are doing these tests, the plots are side by side. So if we, if by any chance they go into seed, uh, where they drop the seed, you don't know when it is blowing, when it is blowing hundred clicks sometimes in Lethbridge area. So I think we never allowed that to happen. I think our aim is to look at uh, their yield at the optimum uh, quality stage. That means 10% bloom. So we never allow that to happen. And uh, the other interesting thing is if you are growing it with another crop and letting it to let it go to seed, they probably both, both the crops would uh, produce seed. And uh, sometimes if you are growing it with grass, it would be overwhelmed with grass seeds all over the place. That's why for experiment purposes, we never allow it to go to seed. Yeah, thanks, Surya. Thanks, so that helped a lot, I think. And uh, there's another question about uh, persistence under drought by dark ray, and it's an excellent question. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's difficult to say how sandpoint will persist under drought condition, but uh, uh, so our research uh, shows uh, sandpoint is not as uh, drought tolerant to that of alpha alpha, and we are working on uh, selecting for the drought tolerant sandpoint. What we are doing uh, for uh, that purpose is we are uh, having a plot at uh, swift current that's that's uh, that has very drought conditions uh, in, in last multiple of years and uh, those populations uh, when we selected uh, they are doing better uh, in the drought areas than our mountain view and glen views uh, we have a picture of that. Uh, I mean, we have uh, done the evaluations and uh, it seems the selections were uh, 
um, performing better at swift current locations, but not uh, at the length bridge. So does that answer your question, Doug? Are you there? I'm gonna unmute here, Harry. Yeah, uh, thanks for your presentation. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think we're gonna find out, uh, you know, if it's if it's hanging around after this year, we've had we've had three or four drier years and now this one's yeah. extremely dry at this point. Um, <clears throat> if the sandpoint makes it through, I think we'll uh, we'll know that it has some drought tolerance. Certainly uh, none no species is really thriving under under our current conditions, but uh, <clears throat> we'll like we we've got it in a mixed grass stand with with other legumes so it's in an environment that you never put it and uh and then we it does get to to flower from or to seed from time to time so so all those variables are somewhat different under our management uh currently so uh we're, i think we're going to find out uh we'll have an idea coming out of when the when the rain comes back, if it ever does, um, then we'll uh, we'll find out. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Doug. Yeah. Uh, then another question is from Grant, and it's a uh, LRC four four nine eight appear to do well. What is happening to it in the future? So yeah, it's an excellent question, and. Uh, um, so we are moving forward with uh, LRC 4498. We need a little bit of more evaluations uh, done to that before uh, we can think about releasing as a cultivar. Uh, but uh, yeah, we will definitely work on LRC 4498 uh, and then for... Uh, and the good thing about LRC 4498 is it has, uh, I believe it has uh, drought tolerance potential as well, because uh, the, uh, this one has uh, better performance at uh, Saskatoon and uh, in the Carmen uh, during the last drought years as well. So yeah, really, yeah. Go ahead, Grant. We had a population that was selected in uh, Swift Current after four or five years of growth there. Um, we had uh, picked up some plants. Did you make a different population from that, those selections? So the, you made the, the one we dug from? Yeah, Swift Current. Yeah. We took it. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, we, we got uh, the first... Uh, harvest uh, last year from the greenhouse. So that may have some potential for uh, extreme dry conditions. Yeah. yeah for some reason, uh, this uh, 4498, uh, there appears to be more on, on that one. Yeah. yeah. So it's grand there. You want to have any additional question on that one? If, if not, I will move to the next one. How does Sandpoint do compared to alfalfa under drought condition? Hello, Does it have the ability to produce? Yeah, I can. 
Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I just was uh, really curious because I knew you had an acid tolerant one coming out. Um, yeah. And so I was trying to understand where 4498 fell into the future of the breeding program um, because I saw that Mountain View um, did reasonably well in the work that the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association had done at Fairview with a 5.4 pH soil after uh, three years. Um, it had dropped down with no yeah. seeding or anything. But, and then at Entwistle, it was worked down after three years again at 21%, I think from 50. So again, no reseeding, but I'm, it's just trying to understand the potential of these new varieties you're bringing forward and understanding quite surprising how Sanfoin did quite well with um, uh, lower pH. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> our, uh... Uh, acid tolerant uh, was not taken by anyone. So I think uh, for now, <laughs> I don't have any plans of releasing that as a cultivar. And uh, if uh, we'll do more testing uh, as needed, but uh, yeah, it also depends upon the interest of the uh, producers. And uh, so, yeah, so everything we want to breed, uh, we want it to be utilized by the uh, producers. And for, for uh, your part with Mountain View, and that you said really doing great at uh, Peace, Peace View or Peace River region, right? That, that's what I understood. Yes, at Fairview College, uh, the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association. Uh, Dr. Kimo Mankanye had planted it um, and reported the soil pH was 5.4 in wow. uh, yeah. his uh, published uh, work. Uh, okay. I, I didn't get a chance to look at that uh, paper. It, uh, but yeah, it's uh, the, the one that uh, we have here, it's uh, better than Mountain View for sure. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there are opportunities for us to look on, on, on those uh, sites as well and then see like if uh, the our acid tolerant is still um, or that will do better than Mountain View on those areas, including uh, the Northern Alberta. Th those are the uh, plans to move forward this uh, testing with these cultivars at more locations and see how they perform. That answers your question, Grant? Uh, yes, it does. Thank yeah, you. Uh, yeah, yeah. You are welcome. I put another question in, but I think Harry Brook had one or somebody others. So oh, please, okay, please okay. take them in order. I don't want to take other people's spots. Yeah, that's fine. I, I'll go with uh, the other question. But if, yeah. So this is also about drought condition. And then 
yeah, for, for, from our experience and for in uh, alpha alpha has better drought. Uh, not all alpha alpha, it depends upon cultivars you choose, but uh, overall, uh, I can say alpha alpha is more drought tolerant uh, than sandfoin. And then the question that is have the ability to produce uh, then alpha alpha when rain finally arrives. So the, 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 this question is still uh, uh, not uh, totally understood. Uh, uh, and it's not, uh, we, we don't have a lot of research on these, these areas. Um, what we are seeing is uh, if we are comparing to alpha alpha, uh, I don't think Sanfoin uh, is doing better. Uh, on, on those uh, drought conditions compared to alpha alpha. So I think that's my answer, but if anyone has any uh, real-time experience, they can share uh, here. So yeah, uh, if you want to add anything, Harry, uh, please add something and then we can discuss about this question more. I think you can move on, Harry. Okay, sure, yeah. So if not, uh, yeah, I'm moving into the next question. Yeah, uh, so how does post-frost uh, lift drop and sandfoin compare for a stockpiling raising? CNV has much better lift retention than alfalfa. So on this one too, uh, CMB has much better lift retention than alfalfa, and uh, that's true. I think sandfoin uh, has less... Uh, Lift retention than alpha alpha. That's how I rank CMB, alpha alpha, and sandfoin. Is that correct, Surya? No, I don't think so. I think uh, sandfoin has better retention cap capability compared to alpha alpha. Uh, it depends on um, the conditions. Yeah. Um, but in general, probably sandfoin would hold on to the leaves a little bit longer compared to alfalfa. And sizer milk patch, of course, would have, would have the best. Yeah. So the, these uh, these areas uh, need to be researched well. Yeah, then yeah. That's, uh, we are just we telling the answer data. based on uh, our experience. And then, uh, yeah. so it depends upon the, uh, the year to year, and then it depends upon the cultivars. Uh, so yeah, uh, more research has to be done in, in these areas as well. And that's no no for the agronomist, I think, uh, for our province. Yeah, I think Harry, my, yeah. my observation in that we've had three or four fairly dry late summer and fall uh, over the last five years here and yeah and it's it looks to me like you know those when they get stressed late in the season by by drought you know the tonnage that we're actually getting out of them for grazing starts to drop uh pretty dramatically and you know they might end up eating that dry grass but i don't think they're getting as much relative tonnage out of the sandfoin um seems like those plants 
can dry up a little bit and the and lose some leaves to the point where they're not a they're not a major yield factor under those conditions in the in the early in the season when the moisture is good then i think you know they rank they do pretty well but it looks to me like the the drought as the plant matures and the drought dry dry season comes along we lose some of that tonnage that the cattle might harvest that'd be my observation yeah. yes I, I agree uh yeah uh, so let me move to the next question by down uh, any suggestion on making sandfall in maintain us stand longer than four years? We do not have only grades. Yeah, so for, with a uh, management practices, it's um, uh, we are saying uh, to for the regrowth and for uh, maintaining the stand longer, uh, the only way would, would, would be to identify the appropriate stage for grazing, uh, which would be just uh, uh, close to the flowering stage and then not to overgraze. Those, those are the basic management strategies uh, in all, all the forest crops and definitely for sand foam. Uh, Yes, and the other thing is for grazing, uh, we don't have a lot of data uh, uh, on grazing studies here. Uh, we are doing mostly uh, haying uh, and that's definitely some other thing that we can do is to breed for uh, the persistence of sandfoin alone by grazing animals and then selecting out from there. Uh, I believe Glen View should be more uh, persistent and grazing than Mountain View. But still, yeah, this is uh, the continuous work and we'll keep on working on those things uh, as we move along. Do you want to add anything, Dan, on my answer? Do you have any additional questions? If not, I'd like to move to the next question and it's... Uh, Basically, the same questions: grazing management strategies uh, to increase uh, stand longevity. Yeah, I just uh, answered the, to this question. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll move with the next question over here from Mike. I'm in normally higher rainfall areas. How does handle lots of rain, lower land, or is it just about the same as alfalfa? So, uh, Mike, I don't know where you are from, but uh, uh, for your question, if uh, you are in the prairies, then I would say uh, the rainfall uh, will not affect uh, the, the higher the rainfall, it's better uh, within, within these areas. But if you have uh, extremely higher rainfall, just like in the East Coast, uh, where the drainage is low, then uh, sandfoin doesn't do as well as alfalfa. Okay, I, I am actually in Brazu County, and we can get a lot of rain at once. And we have a lot of lower land PD type soils. Okay. Which, okay. And, and of course, with alfalfa, I've stayed away from the PD soils. And so far, I've had good luck with it. 
But yeah. I also noticed that a lot of the low spots, it will die out eventually, alfalfa will, and you have good stands on the higher ground. The last few years, we've been outside of last June, we've been as dry as everybody else. We are getting rain right now, so that's a good yeah. thing. So, I so understand, the... from what I understand you're saying, is treated about the same as alfalfa. Uh, so can, can you repeat that one? Sandpoint would not stand uh, wet feet, would not like wet feet. Okay, so yeah, basically, basically treat it just like I would alfalfa. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So moving next, uh, uh, Doug Rage question, uh, measure persistent, how many cuts uh, per year you are taking? So we are taking uh, three cuts for uh, irrigated areas and two cuts for uh, non-irrigated areas and uh, the measure of persistence is basically um, the proportion of sandpoint as we uh, harvest. So, so if we see a decline in the proportion of sandpoint over years, then uh, we call it it's not as persistent as its companion crop. Is there anything you want to add, Doug? No, that 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 answers my question. If you're if you're taking two cuts a year on dry land, then uh, you know we're we're probably mimicking uh, to a large extent what you're doing. It's um, under these drought conditions, we've we've kind of changed to a once over, so a one cut a year. But then it's it gets more and more mature over time. So as long as as you have enough moisture to make it grow and and right now nothing's growing. So that's kind of changing our dynamic, but at, at two cuts a year, yeah, that would be, I think we're gonna see a lot, a lot more than four years persistence though. I think uh, looks yeah. to me, looks to me like it's gonna hang on in our pastures a lot more than four years. Yeah, I think uh, you are right. That's a lot of factors playing the role over there but uh, uh, so by persistence uh, on sandpoint I'm just measuring it's compared to alfalfa and uh, and we are getting like uh, that's that's how uh, I presented uh, uh, making over some some kind of feeling like sandpoint is uh, or the stand is getting uh, lower over the years uh, yeah, thanks, Doug. And there's another question um, from Houston, where I have been seeing any long-term persistence of sandpoint. Uh, it was due to grazing management that allowed proceeding uh, after a few years. Yeah, I have heard uh, a lot of producers uh, or se several producers that say they have sandpoint for more than 10 years. Uh, yeah, it all depends upon uh, the grazing management and then whether you allowed that for reseeding or not. Uh, and what, what I was talking about was the comparison uh, when we do the multiple cuttings uh, in the small plots. So yeah, to, that, that, that totally make, can make a difference. Uh, and especially uh, 
most of the work that we are doing is uh, under competition with uh, alpha alpha or with grasses and uh, as i mentioned today with the grass there's probably not a lot of uh, problem with the proportion of sandpoint or composition of sandpoint in the mixture, but with alfalfa, uh, we are seeing a reduced proportion as the age is or as the standard age. Right, thank you, uh, Harry. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm gonna cut you off here, not that, I mean, there's some really great <laughs> questions. Uh, yeah. But what we're thinking is that uh, we're only, we only booked everybody in here today until 8.30. Um, okay. So oh, yeah. what we'll do is we'll send you some of the questions that weren't addressed. Hopefully you can address them um, personally to, through an email. And <clears throat> unless anyone has one last uh, quick question, uh, I'd like to again thank Ari for presenting today. I know we learned a lot and there's lots of great information. And uh, I think um, I think Sandpoint is that crop to grow, right? So that's one question from Doug okay. right here. Like, uh... Uh, can you track how much seed from a variety is planted each year? And uh, so I, I'm, I'm also wondering, like, if uh, if there is uh, any any information or any resources to find those things, that would be great. I'm looking. At... So, so anybody has any idea what where can we track uh, how many or how much of the uh, for its cultivar, it's planted each year? I think that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Variety-wise, you won't find the information anywhere. Yeah. yeah. OK, yeah. So then there was someone who was saying the insurance guys, they might have information. Uh, Right. But they are, yeah. Many people are seeding them common seeds, so they don't have varieties. Right, there's that too, right? For sure. All right, well, I'd like to thank yeah, you. Th thanks, you. yeah. Well, go ahead, sorry, Ari. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. So just like you said, thanks everyone. And then, uh, yeah, uh, I'll try to, or I, I will uh, try to answer your questions and then send it. So how would I send the answer to the questions? Maybe you uh, can, yeah, I can send you right? send you a document with the questions, and then you can send it back to me, and we can post it with the video um, recording on the website. Okay, sounds good. Sounds Perfect. good, Amanda. Yep. Great. Thanks so much. And thanks, thanks everybody. And watch for the next uh, session. You can watch your email for the next session. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.